Hey, listening family, we have some exciting news. And we do have something exciting going on. We are going through a name change for our radio broadcast, and we're going to shift the name from Living Truth Radio to Walk in Truth. And Walk in Truth is a name that I think helps capture the heartbeat of this ministry, help people to walk out the truth, to live out the truth, to walk by faith and not by sight. So we're going to stay the same. We're going to change from Living Truth Radio to Walk in Truth. Today, Pastor Michael's in the book of Mark, chapter 3, with a message titled, Restoration. We are in Mark, chapter 3. If you turn in your Bible there, we're going to look at a message about restoration, restoration. Mark, chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6, so take your Bible, open it up there, and uh, before we go any further, let's pray one more time. Lord, before we come into this Bible study, I want to just pray for that person that's feeling dry right now and feeling broken, like they need a fresh touch from your Holy Spirit, and I pray you'll do exactly that for them this morning. And I also want to pray, Lord, that we'll see ourselves in this story, that we'll put ourselves in the story and ask, who are we in this story? And that we won't just read the Bible, but the Bible will read us, Lord. We know when you share truth, it's not intended to weigh us down. Truth is intended to set us free, to lift our burdens, to show us our God in fresh and wonderful ways. So would you search my heart, O Lord? If there be any wicked way in me, take it away. Point it out to me, Lord, and lead me in the everlasting way. Help me, Lord, to not fall even into presumptuous sins, as David prays in Psalm, I think it's Psalm 19. Let your word, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing to you, Lord. We're here to hear from you. Tune our hearts into your voice. Open our eyes to see wonderful things from your word, and let us Make the application that your spirit would speak to us, your church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Mark chapter three, last time we were together, Jesus made this startling statement at the end of Mark two. He was saying to them, Mark two, look with me at verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The meaning is simple. The Sabbath was created that man could rest, reflect, Return to the covenant, if you will, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not an end in and of itself. You are not made just to honor a single day during the week. That's not the end of your spiritual or religious experience, not just going to church and sitting in a seat or going to synagogue as they would back in the day and sitting in a seat. No, the Sabbath was made for man, that is, This is a time since this is our Sabbath, if you will. Sunday has become the day of worship in the church for us to reflect, for us to connect or reconnect with God, for us to ask the Lord to bring us living waters, to write his word on our hearts. And then Jesus says, consequently, the Son of Man, Mark 2.28, is Lord even of the Sabbath. If you're Lord over something, then that means you own it and you can determine how it should go. 
This is a message this morning for anyone who's feeling dry, for anyone who wants to feel the touch of God, to sense his power, his leading, his grace. In Psalm 63, the psalmist said, man, I feel like I I live in a dry and thirsty land, a dusty land where there is no water. I want to be that man that finds my uh, life-giving strength in you. That's what this sermon's about. And if you now look with your Bible, Mark 3, verse 1. And he, Jesus, entered again into a synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. Just want to park here for a second and tell you that this was the normal place of worship for a Jewish person. And when you read the New Testament Gospels, you're going to find the word synagogue over and over again and not church. Because remember, the Gospels are largely about a group of Jewish people who are meeting the Messiah. Their place of worship was the synagogue. There wasn't even a formal church yet. Jesus mentions the church later in Matthew 16 and says the gates of Hades will not prevail against my church. And they would assemble on a Saturday morning following the sunset on Friday where they would enter into the Shabbat. And Sabbath means seven or the seventh day. It points to rest or restoration. If you look at that word up on the screen, what you can see right now is a tree that is looking dead. And the word restoration, notice that in the word is the word rest. And we could talk about things being restored, and we're gonna talk about that, but one of the things that the Lord wants to do for you and me is constantly restore our rest in him. We find in this world, we live in this fast-paced, moving society, and we, we have a lot of things weighing us down, and, and the Lord wants to restore your rest. That's part of what the, the Sabbath is now. The Sabbath is not a day of the week. The Sabbath is finding rest in Jesus. The church shifted from Saturday to Sunday worship service in honor of the resurrection, but the day that we meet on is not as important as the message that we give. And the message that we give is simple and clear and profound. Rest is found in Jesus Christ alone. Greg Laurie was preaching at the Harvest Crusade. He preached to about 100,000 people, plus people who were watching as it was streamed live. And he mentioned a young lady named Lana Del Rey. And Lana Del Rey made a statement recently where she said she'd like to join the 27 Club And the 27 Club is a group of musicians that over the years died at the age of 27, including Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, most recently, I think, Kurt Cobain. And she lives in this world where she has this fascination with death, and she's mentioned that she wanted to join that club. Now, some people said she did it for publicity's sake. Some people are saying that she's actually 28 years old. But her message is pretty... Uh, alarming when you think about it. Here's somebody in their 20s who's talking about death and talking about all the dark stuff of life. Look, if you're in your 20s, you should be talking about life. If you're in in your 20s, I want your knees. My knees hurt. (laughs) And I said to the first service, how many of you want to go back to your 20s? And it was a mixed response. Some of the people are going, yeah. And some of the people are going, no, 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 no. 
But I think we all agreed that we wouldn't mind going back to our 20s if we knew then what we know now. Yes. Praise the Lord. I just want 20-year-old knees. That's all I'm asking for. And so here's this, this gal I want to join. You know, how sad. We live in a society where people are contemplating suicide at younger and younger ages, where it seems like there's a dark cloud over many people's lives. Instead of celebrating life and the privilege it is to be alive, especially alive in Jesus Christ, we have people fascinated with death and dying at a young age. What in the world is going on? And Jesus enters a synagogue. A synagogue was a place where there were a bunch of imperfect people just like church on a Sunday morning. People at all different stages. And the nation that Jesus had come to, which had synagogues all over the landscape, was largely lost. There had been 400 years of silence without a prophet speaking to the nation. And John the Baptist came, and he was preaching a baptism of repentance. And the religious leaders within the nation largely rejected him. They wouldn't bow to the coming Messiah. And all of a sudden, Jesus is in a synagogue, and there is a man there with a withered hand. Immediately, the focus becomes the man's condition. The word withered in Greek is zeraino, and it means to be dry or parched. It's used of plants and dried wood. The word means to make dry, to dry up, to wither, to become dry, uh, to be withered. It's used of members of the body, uh, the word, the equivalent word in the Old Testament for wither or withers is yabesh. It's Y-A-B-E-S-H. The primary meaning of the root is to become, to be or become dry or without moisture and to be basically either dead or on the verge of death. The word is used in Hebrew as a verb. First, it's employed in the Noahic flood where the ground was dried up by the supernatural power of God. The second uh, use of the verb in the Old Testament speaks of the dry land that Israel walked over as they walked through the Red Sea when God parted the waters. The third truth communicated by this verb, yabesh, in the Old Testament is it speaks of barrenness. It speaks of the judgment of God on a, a life or a nation where someone is dried up. David in Psalm 51 said, in Psalm 32 I should say, that he felt like his bones were dried up as God's heavy hand was upon him. He felt like life was just being depleted out of him because he was in sin and hiding it probably for as much as a year. And the final use of the word is found in Isaiah chapter 40 where it says these words, and it speaks of the frailty of mankind. It says, the grass withers, Yabesh, Isaiah 40, verses seven through 11. The flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands for how long? Forever. You see, God's word stands forever. Things are going to fail in this world. But Jesus said, my words will never pass away. Heaven and earth may pass away, will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now, there's good news in Isaiah 40, and here's how the verses go on. 
It says, get yourself on a, up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily. O Jerusalem, bearer of good news, lift it up. Do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock, and in his arm he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom, and he will gently lead the nursing ewes. You see, this word and this man become a picture of something deeper. What I've been sharing with you in the Gospel of Mark is that every healing that Jesus does is not just about the miraculous healing that takes place. There's something deeper spiritually, symbolically happening in this healing miracle. You are listening to Living Truth Radio with Pastor Michael Lance. I'm Mike Massaro, and I know what you're thinking. Wait, why are you interrupting Pastor Michael's sermon? Well, I have a good reason. Since Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported program, it relies on donations from people just like you to stay on the air. And trust me, you can't always assume that someone else is going to be the one doing the donating. So if God has blessed you through our ministry, we'd encourage you to go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the donate button. Let's face it, the way the world's going these days, we need all the solid teaching we can get. So partner with us today. That's livingtruthradio.org. Now, back to Pastor Michael. The miracles become, remember this phrase, parables of something deeper. The man with leprosy healed by Jesus is a parable of mankind and sin. The man who's lowered down by his friends in that crippled situation and he's told your sins are forgiven represents a crippled uh, spiritual condition or a nation. And this man represents something as well. We're told in Luke's gospel that his right hand is withered. Something's happened where there, there's no more life or blood supply. It may be close into his body. It's not operational. He can't use that hand. And it becomes clear from the other gospels, at least it's implied that he's been planted by the religious leaders because they know something about Jesus. They know that if a man is there broken in Jesus's vicinity, he will try to heal that person, man or woman, it doesn't matter who it is. And he may have been planted there, and the irony is thick, and this may be some of the humor of God, but the man that they may have gone and gotten off the streets because they knew Jesus would heal the man represents them. They are withered, they are dried up, they are broken people. They have bought into all the rabbinic tradition that has put all this weight upon people's backs and people are not free and the religious leaders are not free and they're more worried about their positions and they're more worried about their nation than they are worried about hearing from the Messiah. In fact, I think there are scriptures that make it clear as time goes on that they know exactly who he is. But center stage is a man with a withered hand, no life in that hand. If you turn to 1 Kings chapter 13, I want to show you a story. So you say, where's that, Pastor Michael? Well, you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings. Okay, so you want 1 Kings 13. Let me tell you what's going on really quick. There's a king named, uh, I think it's Jeroboam here. Yes, Jeroboam 13.1. And he has taken the throne following Solomon's reign. 
And the nation is divided and people are going down to Jerusalem for the festivals of Israel and Jeroboam's becoming concerned that the people are not going to stay with him and be unified with him. So he sets up two golden calves in two different locations and he starts to set up these high pagan idolatrous places and he's telling the nation of Israel, these are his words, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And he starts to make the nation go towards Baal worship or idolatry. And that's the context leading into this story. Now behold, 1 Kings 13, 1, there came a man of God from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord while Jeroboam was standing by the altar to burn incense. And he's standing by one of these pagan idolatrous places that he has set up. And he cried against the altar by the word of the Lord, 1 Kings 13, 2, and said, O altar, altar, Thus says the Lord, behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. Now, if you're one of the priests in the pagan place, I'm sure you're a little uncomfortable at this point. Then he gave a sign the same day saying, verse three, this is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be split apart And the ashes which are on it shall be poured out. Now it came about when the king heard the saying of the man of God, which he cried against the altar in Bethel, that Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, seize him. But his hand, which he stretched out against him, dried up, so that he could not draw it back to himself. The altar, here's a quick fulfillment of a prophecy, also was split apart and the ashes were poured out from the altar according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. And the king answered and said to the man of God, please entreat the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. So the man of God entreated the Lord and the king's hand was restored to him and it became as it was before. Then the king said to the man of God, come home with me and refresh yourself and I will give you a reward. But the man of God said to the king, if you were to give me half your house, I would not go with you, nor would I eat bread or drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord saying, you shall eat eat no bread, nor drink water, nor return by the way which you came. So he went another way and he did not return by the way which he came to Bethel. Now, I wonder if as the Jewish leaders were sitting there and saw the man with the withered hand and perhaps planted him there, if they thought about this story in 1 Kings. And they thought about what this was about. This was a king ruling their nation, at least part of their nation, who was corrupt, who was bringing the nation to idolatry rather than to the worship of the living God. And one of the ways that God judged him was to dry up his hand. And by God's grace, his hand was restored. But that was a well-known story in the Old Testament and becomes a picture of what happens to people who fight against God, who shake their fist against God and his word. Eventually, a dryness can and does come. Mark chapter 11 is where I would like you to go next. Go back to the Gospel of Mark. Jesus is going to ride into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday, which we're about to celebrate. It's amazing that Resurrection Sunday is just around the corner. And in Mark chapter 11, Mark records Jesus' entry with these words. Pick it up in Mark 11, verse nine. And those who were before and those who followed after were crying out, Hosanna, 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Mark 11, verse 10. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest, Mark 11, 11. And he, Jesus, entered Jerusalem and came into the temple, and after looking all around, he departed for Bethany with the 12 since it was already late. And on the next day, when they had departed from Bethany, he became hungry. And seeing at a distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. It was springtime, and figs uh, come a little later. And he answered and said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples were listening And they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to cast out those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. And he began to teach and say to them, is it not written my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a robber's den. And the chief priests and the scribes heard this and began seeking how to destroy him. For they were afraid of him, for all the multitude was astonished at his teaching, verse 19. And when evening came, they would go out of the city. And as they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree. What had happened? It was withered from the roots up. And being reminded, Peter said to him, Rabbi, behold, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered, saying to them, have faith in God Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, and maybe the mountain on which the temple was built, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it shall be granted him. All of a sudden, this fig tree becomes a focal point in Mark's gospel. If you go back to Mark chapter three, as Jesus rides into Jerusalem and he will look over Jerusalem and cry out, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, How often I wanted to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were unwilling. Now your house is left to you desolate. And this tree becomes a picture of a nation, a nation dried out, a nation on the verge of death. And you say, are you sure, Pastor Michael? Oh, I'm sure. Because 40 years later, That nation fell to the ground in 70 AD. Jesus died at about 33 AD. So about 40 years later, that nation was no more. That nation was dispersed, if you would, to the four corners of the earth and everything that they were holding on to, the huge uh, temples, the, the huge stones in the temple, uh, all, the, all the things that they saw that were so important would be demolished to the ground because they did not recognize the time of their visitation. And I look at America today. I look at a nation that had its foundations and its guiding truths on the word of God. We just saw a video, many of us saw the monumental movie yesterday where Kirk Cameron tells us that Congress was printing Bibles. They paid for the Bibles to go into homes and schools in America, paid for by the U.S. Congress. And now in America, we just heard a story that a valedictorian who was going to give a speech at her high school upon her graduation was warned that if she mentioned God or faith in Christ or the Bible, she was warned that she would be thrown in jail in the United States of America. 
There's something wrong, folks. When a nation begins to move away from what made it great, what made it what it is, then a nation has a choice. And I hope that this tree does not represent the U.S., but more than that, I hope it doesn't represent a bunch of lives in the U.S., And if there is going to be hope that the tree can blossom again, Terry, if you go to the next slide, if life can come back to it again, and this is a fig tree now that's blossoming, it's going to be because we reconnect back to the vine. It's going to be because we go back to the foundations and you and I say, I don't care what's happening in the White House. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Revival's going to start with the people of America. Amen? Amen? Do you believe that? In In Ezekiel 19, God says of Israel, specifically Judah, your mother was like a vine in your vineyard, planted by the waters. It was fruitful, full of branches because of abundant waters. And it had strong branches fit for scepters of rulers, and its height was raised above the clouds so that it was seen in its height with the mass of its branches. But it was plucked up in fury. It was cast down to the ground, and the east wind dried up its fruit. Its strong branch was torn off so that it withered, and the fire consumed it. And now it is planted in the wilderness in a dry and thirsty land. Ezekiel 19, 10 through 14 and fire has gone out from its branches. It has consumed its shoots and fruit so that there is not in it a strong branch, a scepter to rule. This is a lamentation and has become a lamentation. Well, Pastor Michael, you just completed a study on Mark titled uh, True Rest. If I can ask you one question, for someone out there who desires a relationship with Jesus Christ, but they are stuck in a belief system that has been a tradition for them, they've been in it because my family has been in this, I'm expected to stay in it. What can I do in order for me to achieve the relationship with Christ as well as keep my family happy? I know there's a lot of people out there that may have that problem. Yeah. You know... Oscar, there's some traditions that are, that are wonderful. Sometimes when you get behind a tradition and you find out, well, what's behind that? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe the way your family cooked a, a Thanksgiving meal or a Christmas celebration or whatever. There, there's some traditions that are good. But if you're caught in a tradition just for the sake of tradition, if you peel back the layer, mm-hmm. if you remove, you know, take off the veil, and you see that what's behind the tradition is nothing, or it's man-made, or it's wrong, well, then then you need to stop. Because if it has no value, or if it's misguided, then you need to go to something that's true. But there are people, Oscar, that are stuck and frankly, they want to come to the Lord, or maybe they've already come to the Lord, but they're in a system where there's a lot of other pressures. It could be familial pressure. It could be that this is all I know. Mm-hmm. Um, there could be other things. It could even be persecution for some people that if they make a transition and openly confess it, mm-hmm. um, there's a price to pay, and it could be a heavy price. Yeah. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. 
You can follow us on Instagram at Living Truth Corona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.